Hey, this is Russ DeVos, former pastor, church planter, sales rep, and wrestling coach, and serving currently as a men's spiritual and personal productivity coach. Now I want to welcome you to The Wrestling Room, a podcast where we open the Bible and tackle head-on the challenging issues that you and I wrestle with every day, always asking and answering the most important question, what does God have to say about this? So join me now as we jump into the scripture. Welcome back to the wrestling room. Turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 15. Grab your Bible. We're going to go through six verses today. Six verses in Jerusalem Church and uh, study passages of scripture that really is fascinating. As you turn, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody who told you straight up, I don't go to church, I'm not a Christian, I don't practice organized religion or whatever because of all the hypocrites? of all the hypocrites, because of all the counterfeits. I've been told that dozens and dozens of times, and I understand that sentiment. When I was a kid, uh, I volunteered at a Christian Bible camp down in Reno, Nevada one summer, and I had a buddy of mine there at the camp, and during our off time, we went splashing around in the creek that was near the camp, and one particular day as we went down to the creek, we looked down into the water, and it was glittering. And as we looked closer, there were gold flakes everywhere in the bottom of that creek. Well, we were so excited, we ran back to the kitchen and grabbed pie pans and came back and spent uh, a good chunk of time panning for gold. And we filled the bottom of that pan with gold flakes. We were so excited. We were convinced we had struck it rich. Well, we went running back to camp and ready to declare to everybody that we had we'd found our treasure and uh, were quickly um, informed by the camp maintenance guy. He popped our dream balloon that that wasn't gold at all. He said it was iron pyrite. Well, what in the world is iron pyrite? What's well, otherwise known as fool's gold. <laughs> so our young dreams of fortune were quickly dashed and disappointed as we realized it wasn't gold at all. It was fool's gold. And so that is the mindset of so many people. They say, we're not going to pan for gold at all because of all the spiritual fool's gold. And I understand that. But I want to talk today on the topic of don't hide behind a hypocrite. Don't hide behind a hypocrite. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about people that we get our eyes fixated on, our attention focused on, and it ends up putting us spiritually in the ditch. We end up crashing our spiritual car, so to speak, because instead of focusing our eyes on the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, we're fixated on a person. And two weeks ago, we talked about uh, fixating on believers. We can learn from believers, but we can't focus or fixate on them. They're going to fail. They're going to fail, nor can we focus on ourselves. So often when we fail, and we will fail, we go into a massive self-pity party and we get our eyes on ourselves with shame and condemnation. And we can't focus on ourselves. We have to appropriate the incredible forgiveness and grace of God and move forward. But this week, we're going to talk about a third group, and that is religious or spiritual fool's gold, hypocrites, counterfeits, because they will certainly be there. And if we fixate or focus on them, again, we're going to drive our faith right into 
the ditch. And so grab your Bible, go to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, and in this passage, Peter stands up and addresses the 120 believers that are in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, waiting for the beginning and the birth of the church, but he addresses sort of the elephant in the room, the issue of Judas, the debacle of Judas. So here we go, Acts 1.15 through 20. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons who were gathered there together, and he said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that field was called Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate, let no man dwell in it, and his office let another man take. So today I want to give you three thoughts, three facts about counters, counterfeits and hypocrites in the church. Spiritual fool's gold. I want to talk about the fact that they are predicted. The, the prediction of Judas. But secondly, the position of Judas. And thirdly, the perdition of Judas. And we'll talk about what that means in just a moment. So let's tackle this, this first fact about counterfeits and hypocrites. Number one, they are predicted. Judas was predicted. Friends, traitorous, counterfeit hypocrites are predicted in the church. Just plan on it. Count on it. So I want to share with you three things, three facts about hypocrites and counterfeits in the church about spiritual fool's gold. Number one, they are predicted. Judas was predicted. Number two, they have positions of leadership in the church, the position of Judas. But thirdly, they will be terminated, the perdition of Judas. So the prediction of Judas, the position of Judas, and the perdition of Judas. I want to talk about those three things. Number one, the prediction of Judas. Scripture foretold it 1,500 years prior to when it actually happened. Write down Psalm 41, verse 9. David, King David, is speaking here about one of the most brutal, crushing events of his whole life. And he says this. He recounts it this way. My close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, in other words, who ate at my table. He was a guest in my home. He has lifted up his heel against me. That's an idiom for a horse kicking its owner when the owner is not expecting it. A dog biting the hand that feeds it. Someone turning on one who has been loyal to them. And David is recounting this about his Dear bosom friend. Now, to understand scripture, you've got to understand a couple things. Number one, roughly 
when you look at your Bible, roughly one quarter of your Bible is prophecy. It's prophetic. But secondly, when it comes to prophecy, you must understand prophetic double vision, meaning that often prophecies and passages of Scripture have a double meaning, a double fulfillment. Now, in this passage, David was at that current moment speaking of the betrayal of Ahithophel, potentially his closest friend in the world. Yet, it foreshadowed the ultimate betrayal of the son of David, of Jesus, by his intimate companion, Judas. Double vision, double meaning. And ironically, in an even more vivid foreshadow of Judas, Ahithophel, after betraying David, would commit suicide by hanging himself. Does that sound familiar to the story of Judas? So, Scripture foretold the betrayal of Judas, but Jesus fulfilled it. What do I mean? Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Write that scripture down. Jesus fasted and prayed all night before making the decision to pick 12 men to be his elite Navy SEALs, so to speak. Out of a group of 70, Jesus spent all night praying, Father, who are they? Who are my men? And in the morning, he picked 12 men. Judas was included in that group. So here's the question. Was Jesus blindsided by Judas? When Judas came with that rabble crowd to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, did it shock and surprise Jesus? The answer is clearly, absolutely not. Listen to John 6, 64 verse 70 and 71. John chapter 6, verses 64, 70, and 71. It says, Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. In that conversation, that all-night prayer meeting with the Father, that discussion, the Father told him clearly, you're going to choose Judas. He is the one that David prophesied about in Psalm 41, verse 9. So Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. Verse 70, and Jesus answered the disciples. He said to them, did I myself not choose you, the 12, yet one of you is a devil? So he warns them right from the beginning. One of you is going to be used by Satan to fulfill prophecy about me. You will betray me. And it goes on to say, now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Acts 1 verse 16, as we just read, describes Judas as a guide. That word literally in the Greek means a conductor. It has the picture of one conducting a train. And so Jesus knew, brothers and sisters, that there was a dark, diabolical death train coming for him to take him to his bloody uh, his bloody death on the cross. He knew it, but he also knew that when that train came, sitting in the driver's seat would be Judas. Jesus knew from the beginning. In fact, Acts 2.23, Peter is preaching. We're going to get to this in, in just a few weeks. Peter is preaching, and he says this, This man, Jesus, was delivered up by the predetermined and predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. All of this was planned. It was all predicted. The betrayer, the counterfeit, the faker, the hypocrite. Now, another question. Did Judas have a choice or was he just 
pre-programmed against his own will? Was he just a puppet on a string? It's a good question. The answer is he absolutely had a choice. God didn't make Judas who he was. Judas did. God, listen carefully to this. God, knowing Judas's character, chose him to play this demonic role in this great drama of salvation. If you go back to 2 Chronicles, it gives insight into how God works. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says the eyes of God are moving back and forth over the whole of the earth, looking for men and women whose hearts are completely devoted to him so that he can put his whole weight of authority behind them. Now, the opposite is also true, that God sees the hearts of every person and when his eyes rested on Judas, he saw a heart that was prepared perfectly to be the betrayer of the Savior, to fit that role perfectly. Judas was handpicked by God to be the Judas in this great drama. So when Jesus was betrayed for a measly 30 pieces of silver, the price that one would pay for a slave... Judas did exactly what his evil, greedy heart was programmed to do, what it wanted to do, what his character predicted that he would do. And at the same time, he precisely fulfilled the divine purpose, purpose of God the Father by betraying God the Son. But brothers and sisters, we need to understand this. Judas betrayal was predicted, but future counterfeits, future betrayals are also predicted. In 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3, it says that the apostasy, that the coming of Jesus, the second coming of the Lord Jesus, the King, will not happen until the apostasy takes place. Now, what does that mean? That means literally the desertion or the defection from the faith, the abandonment from the faith. There is going to be, before Jesus comes, and I believe we're watching it right now, a massive exodus of people who profess Christianity. They will leave the church. They won't leave spirituality, but they will leave the church. Now, why will they do it? Matthew 24, 10 gives us a clue. Jesus is talking about the end times. He says this, at that time, during the end times, many will fall away. That is the word scandalizo, and it means they will be deeply annoyed and offended. They will feel much displeasure, and it will trip them up. It will cause them to stumble in their faith, to be scandalized. Now, what in the world will they be scandalized by? What will cause such deep annoyance and offense in them? The answer is simple. One word. One person. Jesus. Jesus. Listen to 1 Peter 2, verse 8. I'm going to give you four reasons, very quickly, why people are scandalized, offended by, deeply uh, feel deep displeasure, with Jesus. Number one, because of his lordship, because of what he commands, what he demands of his followers. 
Listen to 1 Peter 2, verse 8. He is the stone. Peter is quoting Isaiah 8, verse 14 about Jesus. He is the stone that makes people stumble. That's the same word in Matthew 24 that scandalizes them, that causes them to be offended. Jesus offends people. And he is the rock that makes them fall. Now, why do they fall? Why are they? Why do they uh, get offended? It says they stumble because they do not obey God's word. They don't want to follow and form their life around the scripture, around the demands and commands of Jesus. They're offensive. Now, why are they offensive? <laughs> because they want to put together their own smorgasbord version of spirituality. They'll take their tray and they'll put it at the front of the line in Genesis and slide it right down the line to Revelation. They'll take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of love, a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy, all the stuff that makes them feel good, the stuff that they agree with, and then will put together their own plate of spiritual food, their own brand of Christianity, eliminating what they don't like. <laughs> John Steingart in 2020, the lead singer, the, the, the point man for Hawk Nelson, a Christian, uh, Christian band from Canada, a pastor's son, he came out on his Instagram and announced, I no longer believe in God. And two reasons that he gave for walking away from Christianity, for leaving his relationship with Jesus were, number one, his support for legalized same-sex marriage. He could not accept what the Word of God said about one man for one woman for one lifetime. And number two, his embracing of the theory of evolution. I'll leave that, I'll take this. I'll leave that, I'll take this. Smorgasbord spirituality. And it's offensive to people to say that one man is for one woman for one lifetime. Hey, Love is love, right? Wrong. Love is how the scripture defines it. And it's offensive to many people. Kevin Smith, known as Kevin Max, one of the front men for DC Talk. He was in my dorm in college. I knew this guy. I liked him. He's a great guy. But he has just come out saying that as a 53-year-old singer, lead singer of a Christian band, he is now calling himself an ex-evangelical, meaning he's left the evangelical Christian church. And, but he says he still embraces a universal Christ, not the Christ of Scripture, not the Jesus who says you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Not that Jesus, but a universal Christ. Listen, people are going to be offended by Jesus. They're going to stumble over Jesus because they say he's out of date, he's old-fashioned. Christianity isn't progressive or inclusive or tolerant enough. We've evolved, and so they're out. They're going to bail. They're going to abandon ship spiritually. But second, they're going, to, they're going to stumble at the exclusivity of Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus declared authoritatively, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the, the disciples preached boldly, there is no other name given among men, under heaven, whereby we must be saved other than Jesus. He's the only one. But people will be offended by that. They'll stumble. They say that's too narrow-minded. How can you say that your way is the only way? 
There are many ways to God. My truth is as valid as your truth, as long as I'm sincere. It's arrogant. It's narrow-minded. It's deeply offensive that you would say Jesus is the only way. I'm out. Number three, the weakness of Jesus. They'll stumble at the message of the cross. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.23. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. <laughs> and he says, now let me tell you about this. To the Jews, it's offensive. It's scandalous. It's a stumbling block. They don't want a, a weak savior who dies on the cross. They're looking for someone who's going to conquer the Roman Empire. They're looking for power, not weakness. And then he says to the Gentiles, it's absolute foolishness. It's foolishness. This message, it's too primitive. It's too uncivilized. It's not polished or sophisticated or refined enough. And they're going to say, we're out. <laughs> we're out. And number four, they're going to stumble at the audacity of Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? The audacity of Jesus. If you turn to John chapter 6, Jesus preaches a message that does not populate the church. It doesn't cause church growth. It depopulates the church. People are bailing out right, left, and center. And essentially what he says in John 6 is, I am the bread of life. And in John 6.53, he says this, this absolutely polarizing statement. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. And they're thinking, what are you talking about? And in verse 60, Jesus, it says, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? We don't like this. This is, this is scandalous. And he, yeah, he said to them, does this cause you to stumble? That's the word scandalizo. Does it offend you? Does it cause you to stumble? And in, this, in, in a very real sense, the word has a sense. Does it cause you to backpedal? To begin to dis, distrust me? Is my disapproval or is my approval rating dropping in your eyes? And yes, it was. But Jesus pressed it even further. He didn't apologize. He didn't try to, to shuck and jive to try to figure out, well, what's politically correct? He actually hammered home the point. He says in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. <laughs> that word flesh is sarks. It means human, humanity. Humanity. People are absolutely obsessed with themselves, with humanity. And Jesus is saying, your humanity, yourself, your flesh is worthless. It offers nothing. In fact, the scripture says our righteousness is as filthy rags. We, somebody has said this obsession with self is just the glorification of the worm, the glorification of the worm. And Jesus, instead of backpedaling, he pressed the point. And then it says in verse 66 of John 6, as a result, many of his disciples withdrew and we're not walking with him anymore. That word withdrew literally means turned their back. So they were backpedaling in offense, and then they turned their back in final apostasy. They abandoned, they bailed, they deserted. Jesus, friends, is a stumbling block. And in the end times, people will mass exodus, 
Mass exit their followership of Jesus. They will not follow Jesus because they are offended. And Judas, we know, was offended by Jesus as well. But here's what I want to tell you. Trust in the sovereign plan and leadership of God. Somebody has said, where man rules, God overrules. Where man plans, God has a master plan. Listen, not even the most ugly of betrayals, not even the greatest, most brilliant scandals can derail God's plan. It didn't even create a ripple in heaven when Judas betrayed Jesus, and it won't create a ripple in heaven when believers, as they are now, so-called, will abandon and bail out offended at the person of the Lord Jesus. It won't create a ripple. It's all part of the plan. God knows. Globally, friends, listen, it's only going to, it's going to get worse before it gets better. The scripture says that there is a future Judas who is predicted, and we know him as the beast, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. Revelation chapter 13, Daniel chapter 7, give us a very, very accurate portrayal of this man who will ultimately be the second, only after Judas, to be physically possessed by Satan and will literally be the Pied Piper leading the whole world, betraying the whole world, and ultimately Jesus. Listen, Psalm 76 verse 10 says this, He makes the wrath, the wickedness, the waywardness of men to serve him. God, where man rules, God overrules. He makes the wrath of man, the foolishness of man, the betrayal of man to serve him. So Judas' betrayal was predicted. So let's talk now about the position, not the, just the prediction of Judas, but the position of Judas. And here's the reality. There will be betrayers, hypocrites, counterfeits in trusted positions of leadership in spiritual environments in the church. It says he was counted or numbered among us and received a portion in this ministry. Numbered. Using the analogy of the Knights of the Round Table, Judas' sword rested equally on the round table with all the other swords. There was no satanic symbol on his sword. There was no swastika scratched into a portion of his sword. He didn't have some secret tattoo linking him to a dark cult somewhere hidden on his body. He was equally loved, equally trusted, equally accepted as one of the elite 12, one of the spiritual Navy SEALs. And it says he received his portion. In other words, he was given specific duties and responsibilities that were essential to the mission. He was not the water boy. He wasn't the backup quarterback. He was an essential starter on the team. Listen, friends, there are going to be people in, in, in positions of leadership who are trusted, who are betrayers. Now, what was his specific duty? Number one, he was the treasurer. He held the credit card for the group. He held the checkbook. He had the combination to the safe. Judas was that trusted. Now, when Jesus declared to the group, one of you is a devil, they didn't all turn and look at Judas. 
Not even close. And at the Last Supper, Jesus declared that the one who had dipped the bread with him at the dinner, which Judas did immediately after that statement, that would be the betrayer. But when Judas dipped and Jesus dipped, the disciples didn't look and say, that's the one. They were all asking, is it me? <laughs> and then moments later, when Satan entered Judas, literally possessed him, and he went out to do his dirty deed, the disciples thought he was headed to Costco to get more food for the supper. They had no idea that he was the betrayer. He was that trusted. But secondly, he was a gifted, likely, preacher, teacher, and exorcist of demons. <laughs> In Luke chapter 10, it, it relates Jesus sending the group of 70 disciples out on their first short-term short mission. And their, their mission was to preach, teach, heal, and cast out demons. And they did all of those. Here's the report when they came back. Luke 10, 17, it says, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are in submission or are subject to us in your name. Now, nobody pulled Jesus aside that we know of, who certain, certainly never has been recorded, to say, listen, for some strange reason, Judas wasn't able to cast out any demons. In fact, he seemed rather fascinated by the demons. Nobody said that. Judas preached about the kingdom of heaven. Judas healed people. Judas cast out demons, and he was instrumental in helping people break free, setting people free. Judas was. He experienced supernatural power, Judas did. The ability to perform miracles. Now, brothers and sisters, that is why Matthew 7, 22 and 23, Jesus' words are so chilling. Matthew 7, 22 and 23, here's what he says. Many, many will say to me on that day, on what day? That's Revelation 20. That's the great white throne judgment when Jesus is sitting as judge and those who have never had their names written in the Lamb's book of life, they have never truly embraced Jesus for salvation. When they stand before him as judge, he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. And they're going to present their evidence as to why they should be allowed into his eternal glory. And here's their evidence. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, we cast out demons. And in your name, we performed many miracles. Here's our evidence. What will Jesus say? He will say, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Friends, that is chilling. Judas had done all of those things. He will present all of that evidence at the judgment seat of Christ one day. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. We read in Revelation 13 and beyond that the Antichrist and the false prophet, this future Judas, this future betrayer, will also have supernatural power and ability to do miracles. Now, where do they get their power? From Satan himself. Friends, I want to tell you this. I want to warn you. Do not chase miracles. There are whole churches. They're hell-bent on miracles. Listen. Miracles are deceiving. Satan has the power to impart 
for miracles. It's crazy. I don't understand it, but it's true. Here's the reality. Pursue Jesus. Pursue obedience. Pursue holiness. Not miracles. Because Hebrews 6, 4-6 says this. Hebrews 6, 4-6. Listen to these words. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, those miracles that Judas did, the demons that he cast out, he could only do that. Jesus gave him the power to do that. Now, it wasn't Satan who, could, who gave him that power. He was a partaker of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And then, after all of this, after experiencing all of that, have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. It's impossible. After they have literally rejected Jesus with their eyes wide open, experiencing all of the same, some of the same things that the angels in heaven experienced before they rejected Jesus and were fall, and fell following their evil father, Lucifer. Impossible to renew them again to repentance. They have rejected Jesus with their eyes wide open. So we have talked about the prediction of Judas. We've talked about the position of Judas. Now let's conclude with the perdition of Judas, the termination of hypocrites and counterfeits. Friends, they will experience total and utter loss. John 17, 12 says this, Jesus is praying and talking to the Father on behalf of his disciples, and he says, I have guarded them. Not one of them has perished except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, what does perdition mean? It means utter destruction, total loss, and eternal damnation. Someone has said, sin promises much, but delivers little. Boy, isn't that the truth? I want to give you three things that sin delivered to Judas. Number one, sin delivered physical disintegration. Physical disintegration. Turn back to Acts 115 or 118. Here's what it says. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, that 30 pieces of silver, and falling headlong.